Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to You Down, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Black people, people of African descent, Mm-hmm. are the most creative people in the world. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. If somebody was to hear this conversation and say, well, how can you say, hold on. We came up with the blueprint for everything that will ever be done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm we came up with singing. We came up with language. Mm-hmm. We came up with writing. These are the original creations. So everything that's going to happen after that is a remix. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Down, a podcast where four funny honeys come together to talk about what's going on in the culture. I'm Yasmin Mune Watkins. I'm Ashley Holston. I'm Shakira Janae Pei. And I'm Mamia Aforo. But collectively, we are known as Obama's Other Daughters. Obama's Other Daughters. And today we're wondering are you down with the diaspora? Two thousand nineteen marked the four hundredth anniversary of the start of the transatlantic trading of enslaved people from West Africa. The year was coined the Year of Return to Ghana, calling the survivors of the descendants to return home, and now the phrase has become a movement. This week we want to discuss what the concept of home means to us and our connections to the African diaspora. And joining us to dive into this is Associate Professor of Africana Studies and Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, Dr. Greg Carr. But first, let's check in with each other. Ladies, what are you loving? What are you hating this week? This week, I am loving 
learning things on the internet. I, I found this guy who's rehabbing his knee, or he rehabbed his knee from like, y'all know I got bad knees. <laughs> and he offered a bunch of tips, but he was like, the most basic thing you can do is just start to walk backwards. Hmm. So I was like, oh, I can do that. 15 minutes a day, walk backwards. And I'm out of breath because I was just doing it. <laughs> and it's been so dope for a number of reasons. One, my knee does feel stronger. Like, I just feel way more powerful. It's also a butt workout, and y'all know I'm trying to get a juicy booty. So uh, (laughs) that is really nice. But also, people look at you crazy when you do something that's not normal. And I know people are clowning me. I'm pretty sure this girl was recording me the other day, like when I walked past Really? And people were like, they always got something to say, you know, you're doing it wrong. Like (laughs) what? I know. People just like to talk. But so for anyone out there, who's trying to do something for themselves and that looks a little unusual, go for it. Just mm-hmm. do it, okay? I feel like you do that. At, like, walking backwards is something I did at track practice. Yeah, or yeah, athletes you're an athlete, do. you understand. Why would people be stupid about that? I definitely feel like maybe there should be a shirt or a hat that's like, doing this for my physical therapy. But you know what? No, I'm like, <laughs> just stop looking at people weird, okay? You don't understand <laughs> it. Maybe you should try. I bet you people try to be like, oh, this is hard. You know what shirt I do want, though? A shirt that says vaccinated. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like some of these things, we just need to be clear. That's real. Mm -mm, Because some people will get the shirt instead of the vaccine. That's true. I don't need these liars out here. Most people probably. I was about to print a shirt that said Pfizer, doses one and two, boo. (laughs) One check, two check. (laughs) With the laminate of the date that you got it done and where and which one. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'll go with something though. It's a hate. Oh. And you know, here's the thing. Ooh. I haven't even done it yet, but y'all know I took my twist out and now I'm like having to do my own hair. And I don't want to wash it. I don't want to do it. I hate the idea of it every time I think about it. I'm just like, I'm going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> like the detangling, the cone. Wash day is no joke. It takes like five hours. And (laughs) And a lot of upper body strength. Yeah. Arm holding and like, yeah. So that's what I hate. (laughs) My love this week. (laughs) Which you love, Mamiya. It's so dumb. (laughs) It's something my dad. Okay, my dad literally knows nothing about any pop culture stuff. Like very random things that I'll be like, how do you like he's really fascinated by pink because he saw a 60 minutes interview of her like years ago. And I don't know. She (laughs) stuck in his heart. But the other day he was referencing something and he said, Dion Salong. And I was like, Dion Salong? What the hell? This man meant Celine Dion. Stop. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Can you say the name he said one more time? Dion Salong. Oh, he's just a little dyslexia there. That's all that was. Oh, my days. But you know what? That's so funny, too, because I'm like, Celine Dion isn't even, like, new pop culture. Thank you. I listened to Celine Dion as a child with my mom. So it's like... Right. She's been around for a minute. But just the fact that, like, sir, can you at least (laughs) do a little research before you open your mouth? Oh, he's doing his best. He's funny. Hey, Alexa, can you play Dion Salon? <laughs> Do you mean, see, I, see, now I'm confused of what the real name is. If she even said, did you mean, I would be really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> 
this week, I really love, I discovered how to do a turn on one foot on my roller skates. Mm. Is that like a figure skating one? Like with your, like how? I can roll on one foot with my foot raised like a skater in that way, Mamiya. But Mm. in terms of turning, no, not yet. Yet. Yes. Not yet. Mm -hmm. So that's my thing that I love this week. Yay. I was like going through, I'm like, there are some things I could really hate, but <laughs> like the rain in LA. Yeah. I can't wear my Birkenstocks anymore. Oh. They go with anything. Yeah. You, you want to wear them with a dress? I don't. Okay. Some slacks. You know, black people make anything go with stuff <laughs> because, you know, black people mm. have been making it work. It's a universal. I was trying to do a segue. It's not. It I was with you. Kira. I was with you. Yeah. We were all there. We're still with you right now. <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of what we're going to talk about this week then. Heck yeah. Since you brought it up, Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> so the African diaspora has been defined by the noted historian Joseph Harris as the voluntary and involuntary dispersion of Africans globally throughout history. Also, the emergence of a cultural identity based on origin and social condition, and also the psychological and physical return of those in the diaspora to Africa. Mm. Yeah. Basically, it's the study of how Black folk got here, there, and everywhere on the planet. From Cardi B to Conan O'Brien, people are starting to tune into the vibrant life and culture that exists in the place where most of the descendants of slaves came from and have roots, West Africa. But the question comes up, do those of us living outside of the continent have a connection to this place? And what are the implications of our generation choosing to return to Africa for life, business, or leisure? So joining us today to give us some historical context and answer a few of our buzzing questions is Professor of Africana Studies at Howard University, Dr. Greg Carr. And we'll jump into that right after a quick break. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is it. Your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Welcome back. Dr. Greg Carr is a JD, PhD, and lauded voice in the African-American community. He led the team that designed the curriculum for the School District of Philadelphia's Mandatory High School African-American History course and co-founded Philadelphia Freedom Schools. Okay, now. His writing has appeared in books, academic, and popular journals, and he serves as a contributor to and commentator in a wide range of media. He is a weekly panelist on the daily digital news show, Roland Martin Unfiltered, and co-host Karen Hunter's weekly Saturday YouTube series, In Class with Carr. And Dr. Carr's chapter, Reliteracy and African Power in the Trump Era, appears in Not Our President, Third World Press's book-length commentary on the Trump presidency. We are so excited to speak to you today. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Carr. The pleasure is mine. (laughs) The pleasure is mine, sisters. It's always good to be in community. So I uh, think it's known that any Howard grad, if you mention Dr. Carr's name, starts salivating (laughs) and either wishes that they took your class or has had an experience with you that was amazing. So we we're really lucky to sit down with you. Mm -hmm. The the luck is mine. As I tell young people all the time, our job is to make sure that you all are farther ahead than we were, just like the elders Mm -hmm. made sure we were where we needed to be. So, you know, a teacher by their students, always Mm -hmm. be suspicious of teachers who don't have any students. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I'm very, I'm, 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 thank you so much for that. That's the highest tribute of all. I love that. And for people who don't know, can you give us a deeper understanding of what the African diaspora is? Very simply put, we are, those of us who are not born and raised on the continent of Africa, are the children of the largest forced migration in human history. Mm. 
not the voluntary migration, because every human being who will ever walk on this ball came from Africa. No matter where you're from in the world, if you're listening to this, you have way back an African mother. So just deal with it. But at any rate, <laughs> over the last several centuries, however, the diaspora, as we think about it, was created because of greed, avarice, mm. the largest crime against humanity. Well, I won't say that because it's not a competition, but part of a series of crimes against humanity that includes settler colonialism, trying to erase tens, ultimately hundreds of millions of human beings who were in what we would call the Western Hemisphere and trying to replace them with a labor force that was drawn from Africa over the arc of several centuries. So when we think of the diaspora, finally, the word diaspora, which goes back to a Greek root word, which connotes the residue that comes from a fire. Wow. Uh, smoke, in other words. The African diaspora is basically that which could not be consumed after having gone through the traumas of separation, going mm. literally through the fires. So when you see us, mm. you see what couldn't be killed. Mm. Oh my God. Chills. Wow. So anyway, we the diaspora, we family. <laughs> 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 so Dr. Carr, why do you feel the idea of returning to Africa has become popular or has it always been a thing? You know what? Wow, that's a great question. First of all, it has always been a thing. The sense of wanting to return began with the first abduction. I want to go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The return begins with the trauma of separation. And so you trace that through the shipboard rebellions. There were many hundreds of shipboard rebellions. We try to turn this boat around. What the hell are we doing here? We got to go back home. There's a sense of return. They continue with the rebellions in the, the destinations in the Caribbean, in Latin America, Central America, North America. There's been a lot of talk recently about this 1619 project. I reject that. Ooh. What is well, this the New York Times did this series of the 1619 project where they said, Well, you know, we're talking about 1776 in the United States of America, we should go back to 1619 because that's when the first ships arrived in Port Comfort, Virginia, not too far from where you are, Ashley. And they said, Well, this is where America should start. I'm saying, If you're going to start with the abductions, then you got to go back another hundred years back back into the 16th century when the first Africans came into what we would now call Florida. And them Negroes turned up on the Spanish so bad and ran off with the Native Americans that the Spanish just left. (laughs) So I'm saying the sense that if we couldn't return physically to where we came from. We were certainly not going to stay with y'all. Also, can I say, like, can that be the movie? Like, I want to see <laughs> that movie yes. of Black folks turning up. Oh, y'all tried it. Oh, y'all tried it, right. And then the Spanish folk being like, oh, all right, let them live. Shakira, uh, you, can't, you you have to make that movie. That movie you talking about, Shakira? Yeah. That movie would have to have some kind of random white person that also ran away so that you could have, you know, and, and it might be a love interest invited because they need a point of entry. They can't just see a black turn up and we win. So, no. yeah. so anyway, that, that notion of return then, that return is in two parts. If you can't make a physical return to Africa, you at least want to return to the thing that made you human before these people interrupted you. Yeah. And that looked like runaway communities that looked like Fort Mose in Florida. It looked like the Negro Fort out there in Louisiana. Haiti. Haiti. Oh, Haiti was the ultimate turn up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no question. I'm so glad you shouted them out because Haiti is still paying for what it did from yeah. 1791 to 1804. Yeah. That's what some people call sovereign marinage. 
there are several types of marinage, or Spanish would say cimarron. Maroon simply means wild. It means like runaway. That was the name the Spanish gave for those Africans who refused. Mm. No, I'm going to the Blue Mountains in Jamaica. I'm going to the Great Dismal Swamp in Virginia. I'm not staying here. So there, there are three forms. There's petite marinage. Yeah. That's when you're on the plantation and you like leave at night and you come back before they know you're gone because you went to visit your husband or your oh, wife. Yeah. So how, they got husbands and wives. Yeah, y'all don't even know nothing about that. It was three o'clock in the morning and I went to go see my man on the other plantation. Yay. Now I'm back before you. <laughs> That's like small runaway. I think about that the way some of us go to our jobs. <laughs> we engage in fatigue or not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We'll sneak off on the break or we just say, you know what I'm saying? Then you have what they call grand marinage. Grand marinage is when you build a whole village like the Brazilians did in Palmares. They had a whole like city out in the, the bush, that kind of thing. And then there's the Haitian Revolution. Sovereign marinage. You know what? Uh, Let's just take the whole country. <laughs> they just took the whole country. So they didn't return to Africa, but the Africa that came over on the ships was reblended into a new concept here. Mm. Even though we call them Haitians, they were Fon, they were Dahomey. They were Congo people. And so they they made something new, but it was based on something old. Mm. So the last stage then of, of return was the slow emergence in really the 18th, 19th century. The slow emergence of a concept of, can we go back to Africa? Hmm. But that concept was coming from people who had never been to Africa. Mm -hmm. But they look at Africa as the place from where their ancestors were taken. And they make a decision that this place we're in now will never, ever allow us to be fully human in the world. Mm -hmm. Let us at least go back to the land of our mothers and fathers yeah. and try there. And so that's the conversation that starts really in the 18th century and continues in one form or another to today. Yeah. I feel like that moment of looking back for me, I was in, I had gone to Brazil my junior year of college for the first time. And I went to this Afro Brasileiro museum and there is this huge map of like the slave trade. And I think like, you know, what would have happened if my great, 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 great grandmother had gotten on a different ship and I wound up in Brazil as opposed to, so like, is there a way that you could break down the idea of Pan-Africanism, like of course. if someone listening to this didn't know, what what's the crash course, Dr. Carr? Pan-Africanism in 10 seconds, pan simply means all. Africanism means Africans. So Pan-Africanism is all Africans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got Beyonce, you got Mr. Easy, you got, boom, but all yes. Africans. Don't, don't overthink it. So We'll get into debates. And as the you know, it breaks down into bad as this cultural appropriation, which I didn't get this right. But we'll get into conversations. But ultimately, the very fights we're getting over, we're fighting over stuff that all Africans have or do. I mean, I hear y'all talking about these uh, wars, Jolof wars, and <laughs> people tell you, my Jolof rice is better. The Senegalese to come to Ghanaians. No, my Jolof rice. But Mamiya's Jolof rice I is mean, so good, Dr. Carr. Come on. Oh, look. Mamiya's is popping. I'm sitting back loving it because all the Jolof rice is spicy, which means none of the British are in this conversation. All <laughs> Africans. <laughs> it's got spice. It's got hot sauce. I don't care what you call it. Mm -hmm. And it's rice, which means what? Mm -hmm. Why are y'all Puerto Ricans and Dominicans saying y'all not black and we all eating rice? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all Africans. It's all Pan-Africanism is. It's all. Now, ideologically, there are going to be battles. 
my friend uh, Hakeem Adi, A-D-I. Hakeem has written a book, a very good entry point primer to the concept is simply called Pan-Africanism. And he gives a history of people who have tried to organize this concept. He starts by saying, there's no one definition of how to organize it. There's cultural Pan-Africanism. Do we, do we try to wear African clothes? Do we look at African languages? There were 3,000 languages spoken on the continent of Africa. Back in the 60s, they had this huge debate. Could we select one or two languages that wherever you are in the diaspora, wherever you are in Africa, you should speak? So you keep you keep the Yoruba, you keep the tree, you keep, you know, the Congo. But in addition to those languages, can we come up with some pan-African languages? And the other form of pan-African language that we have is in the diaspora. This is when they met in the early 1970s. Uh, St. Louis is actually where they coined this term, the Association of Black Psychologists, a dude named Robert Williams and some other folks. They said, what are the elements of black speech that we kept? from all those hundreds and then thousands of languages that got brought on those boats, are there elements that are pan-African? We should not call it Black English or Black Spanish or Black Portuguese. Let's call it ebony for Black, phonics for sounds. So when you say Ebonics, that doesn't mean Black English. That literally means pan-African language. So I'll give you an example. And I don't care whether you're from Jamaica, whether you're from Brazil, whether you're from Ghana, whether you're from London, whether you're from Buffalo, New York, this means the same thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or the teeth suck, which I wouldn't even try to do. You suck your teeth, ebonic speakers immediately, right, immediately know. And if the longer it is, means the less you believe whatever somebody say. People say, oh, that's slime. That's not slime. Do you know the genius of Pan-African language? Mm. That means these Africans have a language they can speak in your face. If you don't speak Ebonics, you don't know what somebody said. Mm -hmm. You go to Philly, you say, yo, man, me and this joint was talking. So we took the joint right there. We went over to the other joint and we said, huh. After that, I was like, man, I can't mess with y'all because this joint right here is not going to be the joint. You understand? (laughs) No, I don't understand. Why? Because I don't speak Ebonics. (laughs) You took one word that didn't exist in that language and made a whole language out of one word. Mm. Just the genius of black people. Mm. So wherever I've been in in the world, among African people, if I didn't speak Arabic in Egypt, if I didn't speak uh, Zulu or Kosa or Swana in South Africa, if I didn't speak Tree in Ghana, if I didn't speak Portuguese in Brazil, I could speak Ebonics. It's a look, it's a stance, it's a, in fact, Yasmin, where was that museum in Brazil? Sao Paulo. Oh, you were in Sao Paulo. Yeah. I've never been to Sao Paulo. Of course, won't go all over the country because, you know, Brazil, of course, the largest number of Africans anywhere outside of the continent. Uh-huh. And when we went, we went for an educator conference. This is like 2000, maybe five or six. So we opened up this conference and about maybe 20, what we would call elementary school students come to the front. They're dressed in African clothes and they start singing. They're singing God Bless Africa. You sing that song, 
Pan-Africanists all over the world know that's our global national anthem. The song came out of South Africa. It's being sung by Brazilian children who speak Portuguese as a first language. Mm. The song is in Cosa, but you know that song. Later, the, the young people showed us the work they had been doing. And they, we saw some of those maps like you saw, Yasmin, but I suspect these maps weren't the same for this reason. They had Brazil, they had Latin America, they had the Caribbean, and they had those arrows that you probably, they probably had on the ones you saw mm -hmm. going back to Africa, the triangle, so to speak. And John Henry Clark, another of my teachers used to say, but for the point of a finger, any one of us would be speaking Spanish instead of English, Portuguese mm -hmm. instead of Spanish, French, wow. it was the point of a finger. So yes, you could have easily been speaking Portuguese instead of English, but what they didn't have on their maps, these children, their maps stopped with the Caribbean. Mm. In other words, here in Brazil, our triangle really is Latin America to Africa. They didn't know about us. Those of us who in what we would call now the United States or Canada. And so it's striking that the more we know about each other, the easier it is for us to see, even as we are different, mm -hmm. there are some things that we're the same on. Mm -hmm. And then we start asking this question. Why didn't anybody tell us? And that's when you start getting into the politics, because the more we know about each other, the harder it is to keep us separate from each other. Mm -hmm. So I am getting to these beef conversations. Now, of course, we different. You different from people in your family. Can we at least? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we different from ourselves, depending on the time of day. So we know difference. But can we talk a little bit about the thing that has been kept from us, which is the similarities mm -hmm. and then the why? Because the why will then let you know, oh, this is the thing that everybody fears. Because it's more of us than it is of them. We're not a minority. Mm -hmm. We're only a minority if you stay at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know wow. Yeah, because anytime anybody wants to invade Africa or destabilize Haiti again or, or overthrow a government in Venezuela, what do they do? They form like Voltron. They call it the international community. What is that? Well, that's uh, England and France and the United mm -hmm. States and Germany. Okay, so when I want to get with my people, well, hold on now. Y'all are not the same. Yeah, but y'all the same. Anytime y'all want to roll on somebody, you meet up in New York, oh. you got some called security council, y'all decide who y'all going to roll on, and then you roll it out as the international community. Mm -hmm. The world is nine-tenths non-white. So how did y'all get to be the international community and mm. only one out of every 10 human beings on the planet look like you? Mm. And the standard of beauty. And the standard of everything. Yes. Like, you dealt with that. In fact, it's bad enough to get into colorism when it's them putting that in our mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The tragedy is when we take it and say it's Maradi. That's mm -hmm. the miseducation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. But bringing that back to our topic today about, you know, the year of return and that concept of us young people starting to think, should we go back? When should we go back? Or just feel some sort of connection to the continent. What do you think are the implications of us diasporians starting to return either incrementally or in large numbers? That's a great question. I would say this, we've never been out of contact, but one of the challenges is class. Mm. There are very few people in the world who have the material resources to travel. True. Most of the people in Sao Paulo, in the favelas, most of the people in Bahia mm. will never leave those places, just like most people in North Philly. Yeah. And y'all know this, it's people in LA that ain't never been into the museum. It's people mm -hmm. in North Philly, South Philly, West Philly, who ain't never been to Independence Hall. And they ain't leave their neighborhoods. So the idea of return has always been a war that has been waged to reconnect by those who had the means. Mm. 
the idea of return, when I'm looking at young people in particular, but also you know, celebrities of all ages partying on the beach in Ghana, I'm happy, but I'm also mindful hmm. because that can very easily turn into a worldwide celebration by the petty bourgeoisie. Troy Cobb wrote an article in Black World Magazine called Notes on Returning Home. And he's in Tanzania by that time. And what Charlie Cobb says, one of the things he says is, there's always going to be a small group of Black people who have money, who will travel, who will connect, but they won't connect first with poor people or working class people. Yeah. They're going to connect with other rich people. And every time I've been to Africa, I mean, the first time we went to Ghana in 1996, I'm saying, you know the American Negroes, because they're going to come, go to the hotel, and complain about air conditioning. Because yeah. these are the same Negroes, <laughs> if they were at home, were complaining about the hood cats. <laughs> in other words, their class mentality. Yeah. <laughs> so they're Pan-Africanists, but they're Pan-Africanists because they enjoy the benefits of having money. Yeah. yeah. And so I think our challenge in terms of a year of return, in terms of the concept of return, mm -hmm. with now the technology allows us to do this, our challenge is to even if you can't materially go somewhere yet mm. is to use this technology so that people listening can say you know what now i want to go to ghana now i want to go to brazil mm -hmm. for real I mean, yeah bro i'm telling you look sis i'm telling you senegal let me show you this what <laughs> <laughs> and so all the other people yeah i'm going to the hotel I, all right we can stay in the hotel but when can we go to the village because i see these cats yeah. over here what is this game right here it's not dominoes but they laugh at the same way. okay now once yeah. that happens everything changes I think. yeah wow. i love that with that what opportunities exist in africa that people may not be aware of every uh you know it's interesting to say that um black people people of african descent mm -hmm. are the most creative people in the world mm, yes mm -hmm. If somebody was to hear this conversation and say, well, how can you say, hold on. We came up with the blueprint for everything that will ever be done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm we came up with singing. We came up with language. Mm -hmm. We came up with writing. These are the original creations. So everything that's going to happen after that is a remix. Mm. Interplanetary travel. Ooh. Yes, we came up with engineering. Do you understand? <laughs> <laughs> so whatever y'all do next is great. But do it when there's nothing there except you, nature, and your mind. Mm. So the opportunities in Africa, every time I've been to the continent, mm -hmm. you go to South Africa, they say, okay, the tourists are coming. We're going to sell y'all something. These Negroes then took bottle caps, wire hangers, and little colorful bits of whatever they plastic bottles. In, and they done made little statuettes and they sell them to you for 15 rand a piece. And they, what's the overhead? There is no overhead. We went to the dump. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Look at the genius of these black people. To make something from nothing. Something from nothing. Yeah. Which is how mm -hmm. we've been taught to think about it. But you realize that is commodity. That's how you create a commodity. Mm. The thing that you had was the thing that gave the world everything we'll ever have, which is what? Your mind. Mm. Now, where does opportunity come in? I think the technology is wonderful. And I see these uh, a little older than me, African people from the United States. They moved to the Gambia. They got a YouTube channel and they called themselves BAG, the Black Acres of the Gambia. They said, this is what we did. We maxed out all our credit cards. We got as much money as we could get together. We transferred it all to the Gambia. We bought some land and now we are with the Gambians and we're gonna build some independent black institutions. 
These mm-hmm. Negroes maxed out all their credit cards, transferred <laughs> your buddy, and broke camp. And I'm saying, in terms mm. of opportunities, Africa is nothing but opportunities. Mm, wow. You just got to have a creative mindset. And I'll end with this. This is where fast. There's a book out called uh, The Scramble for Europe. That's what they call it. This guy just wrote this book about a year ago. This is what he says. He says, when you look at what we call Europe, when you look at the birth rates in Europe, when you look at the projections determined demographics, he said, by the third quarter of the 21st century, we're in the first quarter now. So he says maybe 2060, 2070, there may be around 440 million people in Europe and the majority of them are gonna be non-white. That's true. He said, there are gonna be more people in Nigeria than there are in Europe. And of the people in Europe, so many of them are gonna be Africans that Europe's going to be colonized. So what you have to understand, the reason they're turning up in Europe right now, in France with Le Pen, in England with Brexit, in Germany, the reason these fascists are coming out, this black wave is coming, baby. And there's nothing you can do. (laughs) I feel like it's like a generational thing too, because I think about my grandmother leaving the South and like all the folks who are leaving with the great migration and making those connections of like, this is what we do as black people. Yes, that should be the thesis of any conversation we're having. This is what we do. Migration is the central theme in human history. People move. That's what we do. Mm. That great migration literally Africanized what we call the United States of America. Mm. It gave America its only original culture, whether it be them Negroes from Alabama who went to Detroit and created Motown, whether it be them Africans from Mississippi who went to Chicago and created everybody from Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters to Electric Blues to eventually uh, Jimi Hendrix and then Prince and uh, what you call rock and roll, which is really them Negroes out the Mississippi Delta mm-hmm. who had them string instruments that came from Mali, electrified them and gave you everybody from Queen and Elton John. All that stuff mm-hmm. is our stuff. Rolling Stone, all that stuff. We move. But now in America, as Europe is going increasingly non-white, Arab and African and everybody else, this country is becoming increasingly indigenous. Meaning what? Yeah, y'all punched us in the mouth in 1492, but the home team is coming back. Come back at 2100. Mm. It's almost like this is a worldwide struggle. The little bad kids in the human family out of Western Eurasia (laughs) who are tantrum. The real baby. You know what I'm saying? The real baby (laughs) kids. Through a tantrum around 1500, and it took us about 600 years to course correct. Anybody trying to continue to keep this thing like a race for the top and whiteness at the top, mm-hmm. you got to put them in time out, as Malcolm would say, by any means necessary. Because if you're not careful, the ball, the earth we're on, is going to say, you know what? We liked how we started with these human beings, but then a, a group of them, when they started wilding, <laughs> it's time to get rid of them. Mm. And so the ball will reset. The earth is going to be fine. It'll get rid of the species. That's what we're facing now. <laughs> Global warming. Out we'll have to migrate <laughs> to space then. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, they're already planning. Make our own black planet. And they're going to leave us. No, 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 no. They're, they're already planning. I said that same thing. It's going to be very expensive to get those tickets. Yeah. And who can afford that? First of all, you're absolutely right. If we continue to live and operate with the idea that somehow Europe should lead and Europeans and Western ideas should frame everything. There's nothing that Africa needs that it doesn't have. Mm. So if we want to do space travel, there are no more brilliant scientists than the scientists of Africa and the African diaspora. Now, how are we going to build a ship? 
fool, don't you know that most of the iron in the world is literally in the ground in Africa? We don't need the uranium everybody fighting over is in Central Africa. The coal tan that makes everything work from the mm. cell phones that that's in Congo. Don't leave home. <laughs> but it starts with realizing we ain't got to wait on them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of metal in the ground. Under you. So if you're going to have a launch site, they say, well, we, we launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Do you now? You yeah, heard that global warming is going to take your joint out. Right. We're launching from the Drakensburg Plateau in South Africa. Who is we? Oh, the Africans. <laughs> yeah. You see Charles over there? Yeah. Charles from Chicago. Yeah, but Charles got one of them passports that the AU finally came up with that lets him come. So, yeah, Charles from Chicago, but he got two passports. And that second one is an African continent-wide passport. So he'll be back. And when he get cold in Chicago, Charles is working in the lab in Congo with his friends. And so, yeah, uh, America, how's that working out for you? Y'all still, <laughs> yeah, okay. Leave that alone, let it go. <laughs> let it go. Oh yes. my gosh. Dr. Carr, you literally oh. have given us a crash. I'm like, we could talk I, every- Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know we going on a lot, but I, but I should say this about, <laughs> no, I should say this about passports. So yes. if you have more than one passport, if you can get one, get as many as you can. For the Africans mm. in the diaspora, like me, whose ancestors came through enslavement, I can't get another passport unless an African country says, we're going to make it possible for him to have one. The Ghanaians are working on it. They've been talking about this for a long time. The African Union has gotten to the point now where they have the passports, but they're diplomatic passports. They just enacted that a little while ago. So the, in other words, the countries of Africa, in addition to staying countries, they also function like states. You can go from Nigeria to South Africa to Congo to Tanzania. You can do with these diplomatic passports. The next step is to make sure everybody can get one. And while that's happening in Africa, the step alongside that is to say, what about the Haitians? What about the Brazilians? What about the Jamaicans? We are close. I think it's going to be y'all's generation. And then them Negroes born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who are not Somali, just born and raised in North Minneapolis can say, I got a U.S. passport and I got one of these Pan-African passports. So y'all keep talking. Yeah, I know my life matters. I'm going to tell you how much it matters by making your life hell. You won't get no more trade. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm and we're going to make a song about you that starts in Africa, goes through the world, and you, all y'all going to be clowns. In other words, mm-hmm. when you put pressure from outside, that's when they start acting right at home. Mm-hmm. Right. That collective power. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dr. Carr, what you were saying about language, I wrote this poem called Borrowed Tongue. And it's like, I just thinking about like how the language isn't even ours. You know what I mean? Like, I speak with a borrowed tongue in the language of an oppressor. English does not feel like a place to call home. Mm. The religion, the language, these things that were forced on us that we've adapted and made our own somehow. But like, yes. what could it have been? Yeah. What could be? What would it have looked like? If it had never been interrupted, you can dream about Wakanda, but it did happen. Hmm. So when you write, when you write that poem, when you, when you capture that sentiment, you're part of that unbroken genealogy. David Jook, the poet from Martinique, who says, Africa, my Africa, though I've never seen you, my face is full of your blood. They couldn't stop you. Hmm. Yes, it's not our language, but you made it your language. 
And in making it your language, they started eavesdropping and it changed all their cultures. Mm. <laughs> so the, the power of our culture transformed everything. So no, yeah, we didn't come up with English. It's a silly language. It's a car crash between the Latin-based languages <laughs> and German. It is. It's German versus the Romance languages and it crashed and it's English. Like Yoruba, Yoruba doesn't have a gender to mm. clinch in the same way. See, y'all's language has got he and she. And you know what it does? It confuses everybody who has a more humane language. Mm -hmm. Because you need he and she because you had a he that you wanted to put over a she. Mm -hmm. So we start talking about feminism. It's like, yeah, we got gender problems in our society. But y'all put the gender problems in your language, which means why in the hell would we start talking about trying to solve the gender problem using your framework? Mm. <laughs> what about sexuality? Because if you go and look at many of the, the traditional African societies, you will see women with women. You will see men with men. But you don't have to call it LBGTQ. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have to come up with a label because your original blueprint didn't have these concepts. Mm -hmm. And then you want me to take your language, which means all I'm doing is extending the beef. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rape is not a woman's issue to her brother. So how did this become a woman's issue? <laughs> you know mm -hmm. It's not a woman's issue until you have language that forces you separate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. mm -hmm. So I'm just saying I have to say that, yeah, Yasmin, it's it's not our language when it when it doesn't allow us mm -hmm. to be human in the world, but we made it enough of our language. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. It tickles me when I hear white people saying, yeah, sis. I'm like, see, they've been listening to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much, Dr. Carr. Thank you yes, for thank spending you so time much. with us and sharing your brilliance. No, thank you. I can... Dr. Carr, where can, where can people find you on the internet? The easiest thing is Twitter. I don't have no other social media because I'm too okay. old and my mind can't hold it all. <laughs> so on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, it's uh, at A-F-R-I-C-A-N-A. C A R R at Africana Car. Okay, he's a great follow, by the way. Oh no, I enjoy, I enjoy. It. And if y'all just do email or whatever, it's uh, G C A R R at Howard E D U. Okay. And we all family now, so y'all know why. True. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's time for a break. But when we return, OOD is getting into our own personal connections to the African diaspora. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Welcome back. You know, being in conversation with Dr. Greg Carr really highlighted for me how important it is to know your roots and feel that sense of connection or community. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. Honestly, the, it, when you go to Africa, it feels like a hug, like the sun kisses mm. your skin and like every billboard yeah. for the most part is a black person. Like that doesn't really exist most places on the planet. So like Knowing and, like, understanding your culture, that doesn't mean you need to, you know, wear a dashiki every day or anything. But I do think it gives some sort of, like, kind of closure. Yeah. To, like, knowing that, okay, the things that have been done to us, like Dr. Carr said, despite we made it through mm-hmm. the fire. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I just think that, like, at an HBCU or in any community, in a sorority, at UCB, when we would do our cookout shows like there's just this like sense of love that happens when we Mm -hmm. get together and I love like what Dr. Carr was saying about like even us having a sort of language amongst ourselves that moment of connection or understanding is so important and so critical and you have to know your past in order to know what the future can look like too it seems to me like just I mean being African growing up I have relatives who would rather say they were Jamaican than from Ghana just because it's eat more digestible to anybody from the West to say you're from Jamaica. But I feel like that 
being embarrassed aspect of it is kind mm. of shifting with, of course, like people getting to see that it's not all homeless people with flies on them. Oh, God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that was yeah. the image of what Africa was. But did you guys, what was the like understanding you had of Africa growing up? Like, obviously, my parents are from there, but I didn't go there until I was in elementary school. But I heard, you know, African booty scratcher, like that kind of, thankfully, I didn't, I wasn't teased that way. But like, my cousins mm-hmm. from Maryland definitely Oof. were. Mm-hmm. For um, representation for what I saw in Africa, it was like all na- National Geographic type mm-hmm. stuff. Like yeah. Long naked titties, like oh. dirt, <sighs> desert huts. And yeah. for a long time, I thought that's what Africa was like. Like, I was surprised to hear like, yeah, there are cities and giant buildings and mm-hmm. business. In that mm-hmm. Save a Child commercial that they always, always. Yeah. growing up. Always. Oh, all I saw was like some white woman in Africa saving little black kids. And I was like, <laughs> all right, that's what Africa is. <laughs> I feel like White people have used Africa for so long as a like, I'm not racist, check. I am a philanthropist, Mm -hmm. check. Like, look at this picture of me with all these malnourished kids. Doing a dance, yeah. For me, like, when I think about, like, I I definitely didn't think much about Africa growing up. Like, outside of what, you know, Shakira and Ashley were sharing about the Save the Children commercials and all of that, it wasn't something that, like, I engaged with often, um, but are you guys able to like trace your African ancestry? Like, how far back can you trace your family? Mm. I mean, I've done twenty three of me. Oh, you have? Yeah, I'm mostly West African. Um, I think I what it said twenty something percent European, white mixed in there. You know, I hope it was consensual. <laughs> oh, <And> no. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Just a bunch of little tiny random areas in Africa that I'm a mix with, but they weren't specific. So I don't have any, you know, connect further than my great grandmother. There's supposed to be um like a black registry. Like if you're a black person, 23andMe doesn't really have a lot of yeah. blood samples from black people. So there are like black platforms that you can go on that give you more in depth of like what region you're from in Africa. I did African Ancestry. I don't know if that's one of them that you're thinking of, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that I did traced my African ancestry on the like my matrilineal side. and it was actually <laughs> sort of embarrassing because <laughs> the Africa channel was like, oh, we're going to do like, we're going to document you and like your journey. So I had my mom and my aunt and like my uncle on the line. I'm like, y'all, we're about to find out like where in Africa we're from. But my grandmother on my mom's side is from Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about consensual, like who knows what happened, but she was very light. And yeah, they were like, uh, there is no African ancestry here. Because I guess it like traced and traced and traced and traced. But it all isn't written down. That's what mm-hmm. also sucks. Right. Like, well, obviously, back before the slave trade, people weren't writing a ton of stuff down. It, everything was yeah. by word of mouth. And then here, at a certain point, they changed our names. Mm-hmm. to whatever the slave master's name was. 
Yeah. So that th- I've heard from a few people that it's hard or like a person I was talking to said they could see the slave ledger. So it was it didn't have names, but it was like a six foot whatever guy, mm. like which is fucked up in itself. Um, yeah. It's impossible to trace it. And you want to find it. I know. But I honestly think like when Shakira, you said you could trace to great grandma or like Yasmin, your family members that you know. Oh, yeah. That is richer than some of us Africans who aren't like I know the where my parents came from but hmm. I'm not connected like I would be if I grew up in the same neighborhood to my cousins and aunts you know like African Americans have had a chance to create culture in America in a way that is amazing I, all that to say yeah. I think it's important like wherever we know we started to mm-hmm. to reconnect with it mm-hmm. yeah mm. No, but what you said, mommy, like the first time I went to South Africa, like what you said about it feeling like a hug, like a warm hug, like I was just like, Mm -hmm. this is beautiful. Like there are just black people everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. But there's a whole continent where that's the norm. Mm. I don't know my African heritage. I said that some guy asked me at a party one time. If I knew, and he really berated me for not knowing. You were there, Mamia. That was like one of the first times that I was like, I guess that's something that we're doing. Was he African? Mm hmm. Sorry. But I I guess I never really felt a pull to do it. Like my aunt and uncles are really like, you know, they started an African soda company, which you think about it now, it's like soda. That's what y'all did. But it was called African Pride. Like they were very much like, we don't do Santa Claus as black people only. So I like, I got it, but I just never felt like I was missing a part or like I didn't know a part of myself because I wasn't connected to Africa or I didn't know my, you know, my tribe. And I wonder if there are other people like that, because I I feel like I always hear people who are like really want to get back to Africa. But I wonder if some people feel connected not having gone because I don't feel disconnected. I think that's like kind of exactly what I was saying about being OK with where you do know your family starts and like. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that debate, if you will, of like African versus whatever is like Everybody just wants to belong. (laughs) So like when we try to divide up, it just like creates that same thing they tried to do on this plantation Mm -hmm. and pit us against Mm -hmm. each other for no reason. When why, like Dr. Carr was saying, pan-African, like we're all a part of it, whether we want to or not. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't feel empty just because you don't know something you didn't have control of, like Ashley's saying. Like that doesn't make her feel less because she doesn't know exactly the village that her family has roots which i think is super important to say i also think too like just with what you said ashley how your family created a great foundation here you know really made sure like we got a black santa claus we doing this and that yeah we were very aware that we were black that was (laughs) we were having black talks but it wasn't the let's go back to africa talk yeah see i don't feel like we were having necessarily black talks We knew we were Black. There was never any doubts, but it wasn't ever an intellectual conversation, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Which other cultures do you guys identify with, if any? I feel like I am three cultures. Like, I'm an amalgamation of all of them. Obviously, Ghanaian culture, that's what I was raised in. 
but in Minnesotan culture, which is also Mm. a very specific white Christian conservative culture. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Republican for the record, Um, but I did grow up around, (laughs) there's Trump flags next door, like point blank. But then also I went to Spelman because I did feel like I was missing something by not having a direct connection to African-American culture. And I've sort of adopted that on as as a choice to Mm -hmm. do that. I mean, I definitely feel that. And what you were saying about being an amalgamation, like I'm part La Jolla beachside for parts of my childhood, growing up around a bunch of white people. But like even it's the same in the valley being, I guess, a valley girl, but also very much from like 323, like the first years of my life were in Inglewood. L.A. is home. Um, I think that's part of like the searching or the wanting to reconnect. I felt othered in almost every space I've been in, you know. There are so many cultures, though, like we're not even like talking about, True, you right? know, there's like comedy culture. I yeah. identify yeah. with that. Tall people culture. I feel y'all's <laughs> pain. Our knees hurt. The world wasn't made for us. But we're thinking of like nationality identities. It's just just black. Well, I feel like just based off of race and the politics around that race is black. If your skin is black, you black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your skin is white, you white. Whether you like it or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. Look at Meghan Markle. I was going to say, right? even with the one drop, like you still Even black. with the one drop, you still, still black. black. That's just how the culture sees you. But your ethnicity and your nationality, they can all be different. But culture-wise, which tribes do, you know, we put ourselves in, it just depends on how you define your culture, your tribe. But it's usually a lot of times based off of your interest. So I have a few... That I'll be like, oh, I'm a part of this today. Kira, do you think you're a West Coast culture girl or an East Coast culture girl? Oh, ooh, ooh, I'm East Coast. Yes, is West Coast. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't even pretend All to day. say that I was West Coast. Like, <laughs> I thought you might be like kind of in between because sometimes you well, you're like, I've been in LA for ten years, eleven, baby. Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> But the way she just responded to that was so East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> At my core, I'm East Coast, but I've been, like, if I go to the East Coast, they're going to be like, why you talk like that? Right? <laughs> Call me Kira Kardashian. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I'm just Shakira. <laughs> I'm just Shakira. <laughs> the same like, Shakira from the block, right? <laughs> don't be fooled by the rocks that I don't got yet. I'm still Kira <laughs> from the block. <laughs> What about you, Ash? Come on, I'm East Coast. Yeah, I'm East Coast. Coast. You oh, did man. dip out here for a little bit. So. Oh, no, I love L.A. weather-wise. But culture-wise, East Coast is a little, little yeah. more rough. <laughs> less sensitive than yeah. I think. Less PC. Yeah, less PC by far. When I go home, I'll be like, oh, y'all still say that? Oh, yeah. Nobody? <laughs> so <laughs> interesting. Because my mom's from Berkeley, California. And she grew up around the time, like, Build Power had posted this free Huey song. And she was like, yeah, you know that, like, I was asking her about it. She's like, I just, you know, we grew up at a time when it was normal that the Black Panthers would come to your elementary school and speak. And, like, 
I thought this is how the rest of the country was living. No, <laughs> I think no. that's how everyone in California thinks. And then as soon as I leave, I'm like, oh, the rest of the world is not like <laughs> not. this at all. Oh, it's a whole bubble. Not even one state out. As soon as you get to the airport. Yeah. <laughs> thinking of like when Trump won and like oh. the tears, all the crying, like, how did this happen? And I was like, because we living in California and ain't nobody. <laughs> and I don't believe it. I feel like on the East Coast, they were like, damn. All right. <laughs> right. He knew what was going to happen. Shorty couldn't. I you told know. y'all. I told Shorty y'all. Shorty couldn't. Son. Son. Get, get my Timberlands. <laughs> I watched that reality show. Shoot. Um, would you guys feel welcome returning to Africa? I mean, to visit. I'm down. To live? I don't know. I mean, I'm also very picky about where I would live. Like right now, if I were to pick another state to live in, it would be Hawaii. And <laughs> solid choice from LA to I, I see a trend you know there. what I mean <laughs> yes so I haven't been to Africa so I, I'm sure there are parts that are lovely and beachfront that I could enjoy but also I don't know if my Wi-Fi would be good enough to record these episodes of this podcast oh, with no. y'all so. not Wi-Fi <laughs> it'd be expensive I do remember experiencing the rolling blackout yeah. when I went to South Africa and I was like wait oh, no you mean there's just like a period of time where the power just goes out and there's nothing you can do about it that'll humble your ass <laughs> real quick <laughs> when it's like oh there's gonna be lights off at this time like make sure you charge everything and yeah mm-hmm. no I definitely agree I feel like a beachfront area would be ideal but I do worry about the homophobia aspect of it. I don't know if I'd feel completely comfortable or safe or, and it's something I thought about, you know, with Haiti too, like, could I bring like a partner of the same gender with me? And I don't know if I could. So I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely behind in terms of acceptance of other people or basically anything outside of like what the Christian (laughs) way or the Muslim way would be, which that's actually right now is in Ghana, I know, is becoming a very huge movement of gay rights in Africa. Like when I studied abroad there, actually, one of the people in my documentary class did a doc on the underground gay culture. And it was Mm. so interesting because it's been there forever, but like, they just can't be on their boo in public, you know, like just like Mm -hmm. having to filter your life that way. I can totally see where you're coming from. I mean, just also to point out something else, like some states in America are like, do I feel safe as a black person? Mm -hmm. Would you feel safe as a queer person? I saw that a bill was being proposed in Texas to kill women, death penalty allowed if you get an abortion. And I'm like, so this is a (laughs) pro-life. Yeah. Right. That's why thinking about things like the Green Book, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, these are places you can travel that are safe. What about the, you know, especially growing up, there was the, I'll call it a rumor, that African people did not want Black people coming back to Africa. And... You grew up in the culture, mommy. Was that like a, like, you know, there's Black people and African people, I feel like, are pitted against each other often. And so the idea of being welcome is like, I don't know. I don't know how true that stereotype comes from or what. I feel like it's partially true and partially not true. Almost in the same way that we have 
class levels here, the richest people want to keep their wealth and keep their everything and their power in a certain way. I would apply the same concept to any African nation. Like the bourgeoisie, if you will, of people who are educated and have traveled and can even afford to travel are the snobby type who probably would be like, people are coming here and like, you know, taking land and building houses and stuff. Mm. But then a majority of people are like, yes, come back. This is your home. I think it's just like here. Like, do we as a Black person feel welcome <laughs> everywhere? No. Mm, right. We're not safe in America. There's not all safe in Africa then, right? I mean, I think that for anywhere in the world. Yeah. The thing about Africa, the poverty level is so high. Like, that isn't. Yeah, we don't want to see the flies anymore, but that is true. Like, the wealth disparity is ridiculous. So there are a lot of people who want to hoard their wealth, and they think that if the West starts coming and populating, they might get, like, drowned out because everybody wants mm. to be the West. Mm. Even the richest Ghanians who might be a snob like that are still not teaching their local language to their kid and teaching them English. Mm. You know what I mean? That's like a self-hatred cycle mm -hmm. in itself. I mean, colonizing affected everywhere. Yeah. I mean, even when you think of King Leopold and what he did in the Congo in Africa, it's the biggest mm -hmm. genocide and we don't even talk about the stuff that has happened. Well, and still are. Like the yeah, benefits of that rape, mm -hmm. pillage, steal is like still reverberating. That's why when people... We're shocked, and you know what, people. We're shocked about the British royal family and the rumor that they oh. discussed the color of the baby's skin. These are the same people who literally poisoned the world. Right. Into devaluing or and a hierarchy of who is who and which yeah. life matters more. Like they were the ones pointing the finger. And Meghan Markle is not me, a dark-skinned... I know. You have to use a magnifying glass, you know, <laughs> literally or figuratively, to know that she has African heritage. And I'm sure that's yeah. something she deals with, too. But, like, she clearly is very proud of that she's Black also. Yeah. Could you imagine if she wasn't? She'd Girl. get ripped apart. Mm. I don't know if she would have made it that far. I don't mm. feel like Harry's... He was raised in it, so... But like, he was like, ah, my family will be okay with this. And then they weren't. He was like, well, <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm. What do you guys consider to be home? My mom's house. <laughs> I don't know. Home is where the heart is. I agree with that. Home is where my, wherever we are, like with my family, that really just feels like love and home mm -hmm. and safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. But I am trying to get to a point where uh, everywhere is home. Yeah. I think living out of my car showed me that home is literally wherever I want to make it. And it doesn't have to be four walls. So it doesn't have to be walls at all. It could be I'm home in my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to get to. But family is definitely like when I feel I need comfort and grounding, it's family. Mm. Wherever they are. That's some an area that I struggle with, I guess. Hmm. Like, I don't feel like Baltimore is my home anymore. I love Baltimore. I feel like my family is there. I love them. But I never am like, I can stay here and be here forever. 
And then I feel like Cali is great. I love Cali, but it's not like I have a family here. I have great friends who become family, but that like, oh, when I'm in this one spot, oh Lord, I'm <laughs> at home. And I do feel like, yeah, it can be anywhere, I guess, like Ashley just said. I feel like that's why you're traveling all the time, Kira. You're searching yeah. for, where's that place? Where's that place? Right now, I think <laughs> Bali is it, and I haven't been. As soon as I get there, maybe I'll be like, well, maybe it's Greece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is a tough thing, though, like thinking about, because my parents were divorced, you know? So like being back and forth, like home was LA and La Jolla, the Valley, and like, it's like, uh, where is it? If not yourself, if not like- I mean, if I were to pick my favorite home, I would pick when we had a house and it was on Hazelwood Avenue. And for those years, I felt like this is home. And that's, we moved when I was eight. So that was the last time I, a home, a house felt like a home. Mm. It seems like we all kind of feel like it is in the heart, not chicken soup for the soul version of it, <laughs> but it, it it truly is your peace of mind and like yeah. being able to be at peace. And then if it happens to be with loved ones, all the better. But here, here. Home is what you make it. Woo, that was such a good time. Can't wait to go back. But right now, it's time for us to give some advice. Today's advice letter from a listener who isn't feeling very at home in the workplace. <laughs> Ashley, what you got for us? Today's letter reads, Dear OOD, I have had my dream job at the top tech company for about two years. It had everything I've wanted, benefits, a great team, and good vibes all around. But last month, a woman joined my project, and that all changed. Ooh. She started ordering me around, demanding mm. things, and treating mm. everyone like we were her slaves. <laughs> oh, she said oh. it. Mm. She did. If she was a guy, she would have already been fired for her Me Too violations. <gasps> Damn. But she nice. plays nice and sweet most of the time and when higher-ups are around. Mm -hmm. It was all somewhat tolerable until she asked me if one of our medical partners, who is an attractive doctor, could give her a pap smear under her breast. What? <gasps> I don't know how much longer I can deal with this lady, but I also don't want her craziness to push me out of my dream job. Any advice on how to deal? Signed, cringing at work. Yikes, Ooh. cringing at work. Mm. Yeah, we cringing right now, girl. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's rough. That makes me think of the question of like, there are inappropriate women. Yeah. And like, when is it like everybody who's inappropriate needs to get in trouble? Not, I mean, so many men are. Mm -hmm. And like, what's her name? Um, hmm? The woman who married her... Mexican seventh grade student, a teacher. Mary Kay Letourneau is her name. Oh, was Mary her Kay. name. Did she go to jail? She went to jail for years, got out of jail, married the boy. They got married and divorced after she got oh, out of jail. Oh, but no. I just meant that to say like women's transgressions sexually in a work or like professional or illegal in that case environment. This lady should not be talking about pap smears at, or like, you know, sexualizing mm -hmm. her male co-worker mm -mm. yeah i mean i understand the dilemma of not wanting to lose your dream job but then you run into a situation where you're tolerating 
intolerable behavior yeah for Mm -hmm. a job i think of like ellen how everyone was like ellen was horrible she was you know she calls herself an introvert but she was a bitch and she treated me badly for 20 years 20 years (laughs) you know for as long as she's been on air that's too long so Mm -hmm. you gotta speak up and sometimes Mm -hmm. there's risk to that especially if this is sexual assault it seems yeah. Um, I don't know what Me Too violations means, but it feels sexual. I had a situation where I had a female higher up who, it wasn't sexual, but she was problematic. I had something happen with one of the, the male manager. And I told her, because we didn't have HR set up yet. And she called me in the room and asked me what I told her to say in front of him. Oh, And I remember I was like, I said that Jose called us bitches and slammed the door in my face. (laughs) And I remember when I got let go of that job. She threw you under the bus, basically. She threw me under the bus, basically. And she was also very problematic. She was hot and cold. She was dealing with a lot of mental health shit that she wasn't working on and projecting. And if I hadn't been fired, I would have quit because... It wasn't a dream job because the dream was no longer there. It was a, pro- a lot of problems. <laughs> if anything, I recommend going to HR or if you quit, don't feel like you can't get another position. Like, is this the only company? Mm-hmm. I get that it's a dream job, but it's not right now. seems like a nightmare. No. Yeah. You're talking about feeling like you're a slave or like demanding things and treating everyone with disrespect. Those are things that you can document and take note of and bring to higher ups. The comment is inappropriate for sure. One of the issues is, will she be believed? Because it seems like this girl is playing sweet face when everyone else is around and then being nasty behind people's backs. And, Mm. you know, those people exist in workplaces and it's toxic to work with. So like Kira said, this is not a dream. So I would talk to HR like people are recommending and then protect yourself. And you, when you're emotional and probably nervous in that conversation, you're not going to be able to remember everything. So just keeping track of what actually happened yes. could help you too. Keep tabs, write dates, times. Shoot, if you're going to record on the low, record on the low. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry. Um, and look for another job. Yeah. Sometimes when you're stuck in a situation because you think you need to be grateful for it or whatever, you're missing out on other opportunities that could actually be your dream yeah. job. All such great advice. Yes. Well, <clears throat> cringing at work. Yeah. Unclench those face muscles and <laughs> be on mm-hmm. your way to happiness because you mm-hmm. deserve better. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. All right. Ah. That was a fun episode, guys. I know. Learned so much. I hope you guys learned something at home and appreciate y'all tuning in. Please remember to share, review this podcast. It helps us out and we want to know what you think. Also, come kiki with us on our social media at Obama's Other Daughters on Instagram, OOD Improv on Twitter and on Facebook at Obama's Other Daughters. And if you need some advice like cringing at work, Make sure you write us and you can send us your letters at oodpodcast at gmail.com. Can't wait to hang with y'all next week. Until then, take care of yourself. Bye. 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 Adios. You Down is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. 
For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.